The Start On Demand. Hi there, it's Brett. It's the Thursday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Today, you're going to hear from two Manitobans who are being inducted into Football Manitoba's Hall of Fame. Winnipegger Randy Ambrosi, who is the CFL commissioner, and Brandon's Israel Idonage, who played in the NFL for 10 years. We're also going to talk about touchscreens in cars. Are they distracting? Well, a new survey says, yeah, they're a big distraction. We'll hear from a Winnipeg woman who, along with a friend got to go on stage at the Keith Urban concert. They made a bet with their boss that if they could get him to promote their business that they work at, Kildonan Orthodontics, that they'd get a day off. Well, they brought a sign to the concert. Keith Urban spotted it, called them up on stage, and called their boss from the stage. So we'll hear how that went down. Just an incredible story for a Keith Urban fan. Plus, we'll hear from a Winnipegger who says it's time for the city to change the way it goes about choosing who completes a construction project. He wants to see them bid on the best bid, not the cheapest bid. And finally, we'll hear from Global's Brian Hill, who once again has uncovered even more problems for veterans as it pertains to dealing with the federal government. We're going to hear from Manitoba's own Israel Idonage, football star, getting inducted into Football Manitoba Hall of Fame tonight at the Viscount Gort Hotel, along with CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, who joins us now live on 680 CJOB. Commissioner Ambrosi, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How are you today? Always fantastic. Thanks for taking some time with us. It's uh, great to talk to you again. Congratulations on this honor being inducted into this Hall of Fame in your home province. Uh, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Um, my my brothers uh, are going to be there tonight. Of course, um, you know, like any family, you share all of this uh, with them. And, um, you know, they were part of uh, they were part of my success over the years and as were my parents who are now gone. But yeah, I'm excited to uh, excited to be there tonight. It's uh, it is definitely uh, an honor. Well, your uh, long list of accomplishments includes a Grey Cup championship, Randy. But you got your start sort of in Winnipeg with uh, the Bisons. You know, do you have someone that you credit for your own career that you'd like to give thanks to in terms of uh, achieving what you've had? Oh, there's so many people, and I've been reflecting on that over the last number of days, thinking about tonight. You know, it's uh, I got my start at, uh, with the East Side Eagles. And um, and uh, and Al Kinley, who I ended up playing for at the University of Manitoba, he was my offensive line coach. Al was the Al was running the East Side Eagles at the time, and that's where I really fell in love with football. So you know, Coach Kinley was definitely there at the beginning. Uh, my brother Rod, who I played football with, you know, we kind of we started the journey together, and you know, he was definitely a big part of it. I don't think any of this would have happened without my wife Barb, because. Uh, actually became a better student as a result of football. I, it, it gave me a sense of purpose. And um, Barb was a, to say she was a way better student would be an understatement. Um, but she really helped me, you know, l- learn how to learn. And, and uh, that's created a lot of opportunities as well. My, and then my parents who, um, boy, they, they came to every game my brothers and I ever played in, you know, they, mom stood on the, 
snowed on the snow banks like so many other parents of her generation did and cheered us on. So, yeah, just a lot of folks to uh, to reflect on that we're all part of this. Now, you played in the CFL uh, for Calgary, for Toronto, for Edmonton. Never got to play for the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. In fact, defeating the, the Blue Bombers, right, uh, when you won the Grey Cup with Edmonton. Was that uh, a little bittersweet, having to beat your, your, your home city? Well, at the time, when you're trying to win your first Grey Cup, listen, i got to say, <laughs> all fair in love and war. Is that how it goes? Uh, but you know what? I grew up a Bombers fan. My brothers and I, I still, um, still remember those Don Jonas uh, jerseys we had. Uh, we were so proud of our, our Blue Bombers. They were just such a big part of our life growing up and so many great players. I was a big John Bonk fan, and you know, when he played and and then when John Helton got traded to to the Bombers from Calgary, John Helton was one of my heroes, and you know so many names that come but uh, come across my mind when I think about the Bombers. But you know, once you start playing, you you know you play, you you suit it up, and the guys across the the line are wearing a different color jersey, so you want to beat them. But uh, yeah, I was just you know I'm I'm disappointed I didn't get to be a Bomber at some point, but uh, I'm certainly proud of uh, of my career and and all that I was able to accomplish. I know we've discussed this before on various programs and different discussions face-to-face, Commissioner, but the the ideals of football and why it's such a a great sport for young people, uh, and I say young people because girls are playing uh, football at an increased rate every single year. There's something special about this sport and its inclusivity. Yeah, it it is. I think it is the most inclusive sport in the world. You know, again, just show me a game anywhere in the world where you can have um, you can have players of so many different body types. You have they can be big and tall, short and and slower, fast. You name it, every combination. And you look at a football team. That's what a football team is. It's a it's a collection of of very different types of athletes. And I I think the game changes lives. I think you you show up at a football field and a coach puts you in a spot, and every one of those every one of those players can be a star. You know, as opposed to so many other sports, unless you kind of fit the model, you can be marginalized. And um, football doesn't do that. I, I just think it's uh, it's important. And especially at a time when, you know, kids need, uh, you know, they need the, the benefit of a team. I think there's just something special about a locker room, you know, where you've got your friends and your teammates and everyone working together. I just, uh, I'd like to see more kids get a chance to play our great game because, I, as I said, I, I think it changes lives for the better. Looking ahead to uh, just if we could to touch on the Bombers game tomorrow night as a former player and knowing the record of the Bombers going in. Do you have any advice you'd give to the team in terms of how to rally, so to speak, or keep their, you know, their uh, strong attitude as they hit the field tomorrow night <laughs> in hopes of a win? Well, you know, what? look, I, I'm uh, I think one of the things that comes with the commissioner's handbook is that you thou shalt not give advice to um <laughs> to the team. So I'll try to stay away from that. But, you know, I'll say this, I've, um, you know, I watch a lot of football and I, I think this is a very good football team in Winnipeg. And, you know, that, and I also recall my own experiences, you know, in 1993, we had a pretty good start to the season. And then we had a really tough middle, um, got hot right at the end and went on to win the great cup. And that, that uh, slow down in the middle is quickly forgotten. Once you start winning again, like winning is a, uh, Winning is a solution to uh, most problems in sports. So I think it's a very good football team, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, to the game. I, I think they're well coached, and uh, they've got great players. So, yeah, I think that they just go out and play their game. They'll be fine.
All right, Commissioner of the CFL, Randy Ambrosi, congratulations on being inducted into the Football Manitoba Hall of Fame. Uh, and thank you for the time this morning. Well, thanks very much. And if I just one last thing, I want to thank all of you. Uh, CGLB was a big part of our lives growing up as kids. And I think more than once uh, you covered our sports over the years. And I know my, my mom had that. Uh, my mom had the radio on every morning as we got up and and had our breakfast together. You guys have been part of our lives as well for a very, very long time. So thanks to all of you for, for what you do. Well, see, now your, your mom, if your mom was here and she's looking down, she'd say, now you finally made it, Randy. You've been on CJOB. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> thanks, Commissioner. Always great to get some time with you, whether it's in person or, or on the phone. Thanks very much. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye for now. All right, that is CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, Winnipeg native, being inducted tonight into the Football Manitoba Hall of Fame class. And that's happening at the Viscount Gord Hotel. Today, Greg, we've already heard from one football Manitoba Hall of Fame inductee, CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, who is from Winnipeg. And now we're going where? We're going to go to Brandon. Uh, Israel Adonijah was uh, born in Nigeria, but his family immigrated to Canada. He grew up in Brandon. And when he went to the University of Manitoba, he never really played football. He played a little bit in high school and went on to become... A 10-year NFL veteran, Kelly Moore, our Kelly Moore, caught up with Israel Adonijah just yesterday. So Israel Adonijah, first off, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> I know I know you don't turn 38 till next month, but already a yes. Hall of Famer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Uh, it's tr- truly just an honor even to get the recognition and, 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 and really just for me an, an, an opportunity you talk about uh, a journey for anyone, the, the, the countless amount of people that are a part of making that journey a success. You know, um, that's truly the case in my matter. So just it's really an opportunity to highlight the coaches, the players, my family, and, and uh, you know, even the media. All the years that the media has, you know, written my story. And, I mean, uh, there's a lot of people that have been a part of, of my journey and I'm just I'm thankful to, uh, to share uh, this evening with, uh, with with my city with my province and and uh, with my teammates coaches and family yeah and that's so cool is he because even though you know Chicago has kind of become your home now you've never ever forgotten where you're from you know and, and you know Chicago is home I consider I have multiple homes you know I have I have a house there in Winnipeg you know, um, so I get to come and spend some time with my family there. And then, yeah, I've, I've been fortunate to be the, the HQ has been in, in Chicago here for since 2003, which is wow. It, it goes it literally goes by in a blink of an eye. I remember leaving Winnipeg to come to Chicago 03, November 16th um, on a one week contract to try out for this team in the city of Chicago. And it's, uh, it was truly amazing how that one week turned into, you know, 11 years in the NFL. And, and I'm just, I'm truly thankful. And again, it's just been an amazing ride and I'm looking forward to the, to the next chapters and, and what's to come. Yeah. And it's so exciting, uh, uh, just with what's going on with the monsters of the midway and, and your company that you have founded. Am I pronouncing it right? Athletic Comics? Yeah, Athletic Comics. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, 
it's it's I've been so engaged with the team this year. You know, I've been retired now three three and a half years, and it's very different now that I've created all. I've basically worked with the team to create this campaign of the new monsters of the midway, and we've turned all the players into these comic superheroes. And just to watch the energy around it, the engagement with kids and, and comic fans and even people that are not comic fans, it's just been super exciting watching the team play last week and you know losing in that epic battle. And then this week coming back and beating Seattle, it's, it, there's just really a special energy around you know the Bears, the city, and really just Bears fans ev- everywhere. I know because of my involvement with the Bears, there are a lot of Bears fans in Manitoba you know, so I know we're all excited about the season. And finally, it's, uh, and I think an opportunity, if, if you were there when we went to the Super Bowl, you know, that was a really an exciting time for my career and for, for, uh, for all our fans and all, all our, our cities, both Chicago and Winnipeg. So I'm hoping that uh, this new team, you know, led by Trubisky and, 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 you know, this new leadership can get some wins, but more importantly, make it to the playoffs and then make some noise there. Right. Now you started this back in April and basically it depicts members of the Chicago Bears uh, in a comic book setting, which is what your company is all about. And, uh, and, and it's a really neat concept, which I hope other NFL teams follow. But I have to ask you, Israel Adonijay, did you have to do some audibling when Khalil Mack was signed? Because I don't know if he would have been part of the original storyline. Literally, the, you know, hours or, or you know, uh, 24 hours before the deal was finalized, I got a call from the Bears and like, hey, it looks like we're going to, it looks like we're going to get Khalil Mack. We're making a move to get him. So just prepare. So I called my team and we started working on the pencils, the artwork, and the deal got done. Three days later, we had all our Khalil Mack superhero comic characters done. And he did not disappoint. I mean, making history in his opening game, interception, sack, touchdown, fumble recovery, strip sack. I mean, he just, he was a monster out there. And, and uh, the Bears defense is leading the NFL right now with, with sacks. And, and that's uh, a big part of what he brings to this defense. So if Israel Adonijah was still playing for the Chicago Bears, how would he be depicted as a monster of the midway? <laughs> if I was still playing for the Bears, I mean, I think... You know, uh, so my nickname was always the I-Train. Yeah. You know, so I think I, I would want my character to, you know, maybe be kind of Transformers-like, and I would transform into, like, the I-Train, and that would be, like, my my ability. You know, if, if in that campaign, that would, that'd be, like, this monster train. Um, but my, my favorite heroic power that I – my strength that I – if I were a superhero, what would my superpower be? It would definitely be um, – I would want to have precognition, you know, so the ability just to know everything before it happened in any circumstance or situation and just being a step ahead of everything. So I know it's run. I know it's past. I, I just like, <laughs> I'm there, there, you know, you know, draw, lead, you name it. I just, I, I'm able to, I'm able to wreck every play just because, you know, I have, I have this super precognitive intellect (laughs) somewhere as well as real adonage there'd be giving because uh, through your foundation and other uh philanthropic uh, philanthropic uh uh, endeavors rather uh, you've always made sure to give back uh i know that you have to catch a plane we do not want you late for this dinner tonight so thank you so much for doing this and again uh, a heartfelt and sincere congratulations on your induction into the manitoba football hall of fame Oh, thank you so much. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm about to get on the flight. Winnipeg, I'm, I'm coming home. So thank you, and we'll see you guys soon. 
Israel Adonage going into the Football Manitoba Hall of Fame tonight. He even remembers the day he left Winnipeg, November sixteenth, wow. two thousand three. You can uh, catch up on his charitable pursuits, the ifcharities.org. He's had that since two thousand seven, and uh, you know I always marvel at the fact that Jonathan Taves was probably the most popular until the Cubs won the World Series in twenty sixteen. Jonathan Taves, a Winnipegger, the most popular athlete possibly in Chicago, and Israel Adonis was extremely popular as an athlete when he played for the Bears and continues to be, in fact, the fact that he'd bought a very expensive condo in the South Loop of Chicago made it into the newspaper a few months ago. So he is someone very highly regarded in the Windy City. I love how these guys can leave and still keep their roots to Manitoba. We had Randy Abrosi on early, the CF, earlier, the CFL commissioner, and he was just talking about the same thing, naming off coaches and all the people that he remembers from when he was a kid, right? I mean, it really sticks with you if you have some good mentorship along the way, then you'll never forget that. Mackling McGarry McNabb on 680 CJOB, and we got this distracted driving survey sent to us the other day, and we talk about distracted driving all the time, but one of the things that really caught my attention here is that it focuses on the touchscreen system. This is from Desjardins Group, and this survey found that over two-thirds of the Manitobans who responded to this survey say that the touchscreen systems in cars now, that includes GPS and radio, are a big distraction. This is Desjardins spokesperson John Bourdignon. Normally, um, what we're seeing, and it's still predominantly number one, is the use of smartphones behind the wheel so your cell phone people using it but now more and more the auto manufacturers of course over the last few years have been putting in um, these more elaborate infotainment systems into their vehicles and it's no fault of the manufacturer they're just providing what people want Uh, but these systems are can be confusing if you don't take the time to learn them you know you have your nav system radio sometimes they're replacing the old school knobs with uh, touch screens and whatnot so uh, as people are driving, they're trying to fool around with their nav system or maybe adjust the radio, and that certainly is a distraction when you're looking at a screen and not the road. So I've got a 2011 vehicle. I do not have a touchscreen. I think the touchscreens just started to, to become standard fare maybe even the next year. So I can't relate to this. I have an idea. I always thought it might be a distraction. Who here has a touchscreen? You've got one, Mackling? Mackling's got one. Forte's Raisin in Hand and Master Control. You've got one? I sure do. Braun? You bet. Kelly? Not in that pay group. Oh, <laughs> come, come on. on. Kelly. McNabb? No, I got a 2008 Civic. They do not Yay, come with a touch screen. The most important question is who would be fiddling with your radio? You just need to turn it up and down. You don't need to change the station. You just leave it on CJOB. That's, that's what a, I kind of thought. That's yeah. the first problem I have with the survey. <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, the, the touchscreen, I mean, you can do just about anything from the touchscreen, everything from the climate control to the different uh, entertainment options, everything from it integrates with your iPhone. I can make a phone call from that touchscreen. You can put oh, photos on it. We're, we're car shopping right now. And he's like, you can load up your photos on this and your videos. And I was oh, like, that's why, great. Why, 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 I don't even know why. <laughs> he just he had, a long, he had a long list of all the things basically that I can do on my phone that you can now like connect with the touchscreen. Anyway, it just, it, it's endless. Weirdly enough on mine, it doesn't adjust the clock for daylight savings. It's so all, frustrating. All that technology. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, think yeah. I, I drive across time zones and it, it changes on its own. 
but it won't do it for daylight saving. Weird. That's bizarre. Weird. That is bizarre. Okay. It took me forever well, to figure it out. Well, I wonder if the car thinks it's in Saskatchewan. <laughs> could be. Oh, that could be. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's poor car. car. I, think, <laughs> I think it has to be distracted. Is that not a great setup or what? Did I hit it far enough to go over the fence? <laughs> McNabb, why do you think it has to be distracted? Oh, I just I just think because there's, I mean, I only tested it the other day, so I don't, I haven't driven with it, But you, and I guess you'd have to get used to it, but you have to, it feels like you have to lean really into that console, like it's not right next to you, like the radio You need longer field. arms. I don't know, maybe just the vehicle yeah. we were in. I need longer arms. <laughs> My fault. Get an arm but, transplant. But it also, you know, just to get through the menu, there were several options. So it's not just as simple, unless you keep it on the main screen, maybe. I, I don't know. There's There was so much going on. There's a lot to do depending on, I mean, it does depend a little bit on what you are trying to do. But I've found that if I'm looking for a particular uh, playlist, like I use, play music off my phone with the Bluetooth or whatever mm-hmm. and podcasts and stuff, and there's there are multiple screens to go through and that sort of thing, and I've like I've found I can't do it while I'm driving. I have to wait till I'm at a red light or parked. Or In fact, uh, with the navigation, you can the vehicle on my vehicle. You can't even be moving when you're entering that information. It says, "Hey, uh, basically, dude, pull over yeah. and, yeah. and, and do this when it's yeah. safe." It says the same thing. Yeah. If you're plugged in with the Apple CarPlay. It'll do that too. It severely limits what you can do while oh, you're driving. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good though, then, because yeah. it's yeah, yeah. stopping you from being distracted. So yeah, like, I, and I put up a, a just a quick little poll on the 680 CJOB Instagram if you want to weigh in. And so far, sixty the, the votes were uh, in relation to the question: Do you think the touchscreen is a distraction? And sixty percent say yes, it's a death trap, <laughs> and forty percent wow. say no, I love it. Well, I'm waiting for MLCC to add in so that I can play VLTs right up in my driver <laughs> seats. That, that, that would be great. Well, oh. What about these rear-mounted cameras? Maybe they'll add the option so that you can take pictures from the camera and then load them into your Instagram or Twitters or Facebook or whatever, right? Oh, see, that's a good idea. Well, the screen a terrible grab. idea. No, I wouldn't want that. I always get a little too close to any object I'm backing up. Well, here, so. Let me get a better picture of this light standard. Closer, yeah. close. Oh, oh damn it. Damn, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now, here's Crunch. the screen. So, Bron, with the touchscreen in your car, like, do you have still manual like knobs and stuff for your climate control, or is it all done through the touchscreen? No, the climate control's got its own knobs and that okay. sort of thing. And and even the touchscreen, like for the radio, there's there's a volume knob on the console and a, a button, a quick mute button, and also the steering wheel has a few buttons on it uh. where I can flip some channels and do the volume and that sort of thing. So. Yeah, we got a text message here. It says, I just bought a new vehicle last week, never had touchscreen before, but just yesterday driving to work, I thought, this touchscreen is very distracting. I had my eyes off the road more than on the road, playing playlists, adjusting the heat and defrost, and the list goes on, dot, dot, dot. Very nice. That's the proper use of the dot, dot, dot. I love it. Yeah, so let us know, 204-780-6868. If, in a perfect world, if I were to buy a vehicle, I would like the touchscreen to just be sort of a, in addition to the various manual controls. I still like to have a, a, a tactile knob, tactile buttons for skipping and stuff. If, I'm, if I want to shoot through radio stations or you skip can to the on, next song. Like on mine, you can on the steering wheel. You can shoot through. You can adjust your volume. I can go to the touchscreen to do the climate control, but like the heated seats, there's a button for that. It's also on the touch screen. So a lot of it is there's um, you, you you don't just have to use the the, the the digital interface. Voice command will be the next thing that comes up with for this. Sure. But the I, current voice command doesn't work if you're using if your phone's connected up connected to your car. I can't tell you how many times I'll, I'll say call 
So and so, and it ne- it is never <laughs> call Loren, calling Lauren. No. That's a McNabb problem. Oh, not a that is not a McNabb problem. These two Winnipeg women had a sign with them about Kildonan orthodontics. <laughs> Keith Urban brought them on stage to get a closer look in case you're just tuning in and missed it with Jeff. Here's a clip of him calling their boss. If you give them the damn work, maybe a little pay rise. Uh, it'll all work out and I will, I will promote your company through and through. So we've posted that video on 680 CJOB's Twitter. We've posted it on 680 CJOB's Instagram. And now we're going to speak with one of those two young women, Jenna Paddock, joining us live this morning on 680 CJOB. Jenna, thank you very much for joining us. How are how exciting was that last night? Oh, it was amazing. I have no words to explain how amazing it was. Of all the signs in the crowds that people go with, <laughs> usually when they mention teeth or orthodontics, I don't think that usually gets a response. I don't even know if someone's actually ever made a sign like that before. So exactly what was on your sign and what was the goal or the hope, I guess? Well, the front of the sign said, Keith, um, we get a day off if you say dot, dot, dot. And then once he read that, I flipped it and it said, visit Kildonan Orthodontics for your perfect smile. <laughs> Which is, of course, where you work. And- Yes, and it was just a bet with our boss. Like, that's how it started out. So where were you sitting, or where were you standing, maybe, is the the right well, question. We were on row floor, floor row six, but oh it was behind, right behind the pit. Wow. So we were pretty far back, about halfway back. But it was, uh, that you had that neon poster paper, and so it uh, stood out pretty nicely. And so at what point did you realize what was going on? Did someone from the floor, like a security guard, come and tug your shoulder and say, hey, or was it a pure interaction from Keith to you from the stage? It was from Keith on the stage. Like he said, girls, bring that sign up here. And then we started freaking out. And then we saw the his security or his staff was standing at the end of our aisle and they escorted us up to the stage. And he couldn't really say Kildonan at first because it's sort of a Winnipeg word, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think Kildonan's very often used in Nashville no. or Australia. So no, the he's... crowd was trying to help him out with that. <laughs> so how long were you on? Like the video on Twitter is two minutes, but it looks like it's been condensed and edited. So how long would you say you were up on stage with him for? I think the videos that we have from our other staff are about five minutes long. Man, so you basically got like the, were the other fans jealous? Yes. There was people coming up to us like crazy after that, asking for pictures and asking how it was, how he smelt. (laughs) And (laughs) if I could just follow up and? (laughs) He smells pretty good. (laughs) You know, it's funny. We were joking this morning about if that ever happened to us, if we got to meet someone that we really admired and would we be, would we be able to speak? Uh, You know, what kind of reaction would we have? Was there a moment where you, were you speechless or did you just roll with the punches? I was just rolling with the punches. I couldn't stop shaking. I was like vibrating and I was crying. So, <laughs> so. do you get a day off? Yes. Actually, the our boss is going to give a, the entire office a day off when they want to take it. Now, Fridays don't count, right? Because a lot of dentists and orthodontist office already close on Fridays, right? You, you made sure you, you got it like a Monday or something, right? Yeah. Um, I think you'll be allowed to take any time 
you would like to take off. Yeah. Well, well if I can say my, my son, Brendan is a patient, uh, there, he's just had his oh, preliminary, yeah. he's had his preliminary work done. So uh, we'll be spending a lot of time there. And so uh, you already had me as a customer. I can only imagine, I think the phone's probably going to running off the hook there today. You realize that, right, Jenna? I, I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Now we were. He talked to your boss. He called your boss directly yeah. on stage. Have you talked to your boss today? I mean, did he actually believe yeah. he was talking to Keith Urban, or was there a moment no. where he was also thinking he was being punked, so to speak? No, he thought that he was talking to my boyfriend, actually. Oh yeah. Until and he said he couldn't hear an accent at the start. He thought it was my boyfriend, and then he started. He heard the crowd, and then that's when he realized who he was talking to. <laughs> That is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so what happened afterwards? Did you, did you get to go backstage or did they take you back to your seats? Um, they took us back to our seats and then his videographer came in to get the photos from me that were on my phone so that they could use it for Keith Urban's social media page. Man, that's just incredible. Just incredible. Hey, by the way, where is uh, Kildonan Orthodontics? It's right on the corner of Region and Lodge, right by Starbucks. Okay. No, no, it's by Five Guys. You got you got you got to yeah. describe yeah. that better. It's by Five Guys Burgers. <laughs> Is that what you do, Greg? You drop the kids off and then you go to Five there Guys. Maybe Five Guys involved in every visit to the orthodontist. Yep. <laughs> well, Jenna, hey, thank you very much for taking the time to tell us about this. What an incredible story! And um, yeah, if you want to see the video again, you can go to Six Eighty CJOB's Twitter or Instagram. We've got it loaded up there, and of course, you can check out Keith Urban's social media as well. How was the show, by the way? Amazing. I don't remember the first half after all that happened. It's really? all a blur after that, but the rest of the show was amazing. <laughs> okay. Jenna Paddock, thank you very much. Uh, congratulations on getting the, the pretty much the moment of a lifetime for uh, all the, the Winnipeg fans who were in attendance at, uh, at the show with Keith Urban last night. And I uh, guess Wonder- enjoy your day off whenever you get to take it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This next idea is not on the agenda for City Hall, but one Winnipegger would like it to be. Last month, his group sent an open letter to candidates asking them to change the way they award construction contracts. Right now, Winnipeg uses RFPs, that's uh, Request for Proposals, as a way to select from different companies the best design for a road or building while keeping costs down. But Cal Harrison with Beyond Referrals says... That's not happening. Uh, Cal joins us now. Cal, what do you mean by this? Well, what I mean is that there's better ways to hire architects, engineers, and construction management professionals, and that's not my opinion. That's what the experience of other countries and other cities have told us, and that when we talk about using RFPs to keep costs down, that's factually inaccurate. It actually hurts us and drives up long-term costs. How does it end up driving up the long-term costs? Well, when when people have to bid on a project based knowing that up to 40 or 50% of the decision is going to be made on low cost, what they do is they strip down their proposal to the least viable version of the project. And there's no look at innovation. There's no consideration of operating costs because they know they got to get their price down to as low as possible. So what happens is an RFP, has a, that process has a bias towards solutions that are the lowest value and the lowest cost. Now, when you use a qualifications-based selection process, you 
do not initially evaluate price. You just focus on finding the best firm to do the work and then you negotiate the price with them. And what you get from that is the highest value at a fair price. So does this result in certain situations? I know here in Winnipeg with our our lousy roads, it's tough enough to get them fixed in the first place. And then you see them being fixed either the, the next construction season or a couple of years later, and everybody's looking looking at one another going, it feels like they just fixed this. Yeah, so the analogy I use is that, uh, you know, QBS, qualifications-based selection, which is the opposite of an RFP, is was required by law since 1972 in the United States for federal government work, and 47 states have adopted it since 1972. And I look at the differences in our highways when you drive from you know Winnipeg south and head to the states; they're, they're horrible in many cases in Canada. And then you get to the states, and it's like driving on glass. And the important thing to remember is that in almost 50 years since this was implemented in the United States and across 47 different states none of those states have, have gone back to the low-bid RFP process. Cal can, Cal, can I make, I'm going to make a what might be a rather pedestrian comparison, and you can tell me if I'm full of it. Um, I used to wear Skechers shoes. Comfy shoes, they're, they're nice, but they, they fall apart pretty quick. Uh, but I would buy them because they were cheaper. They'd fall apart after a year, so I'd end up spending $100 every year to buy a new pair of shoes. Well, three years ago, I finally spent $200 on a pair of Blundstone boots from the shoe doctor, and lo and behold, today I've still got them. So I spent more money up front, but I ended up saving money in the long term. Is this kind of what... Can you draw a comparison to that? That's a perfect comparison, and there are other added values as well, is that you've got a better user satisfaction, uh, as well as, you know, the long-term costs are actually lower. Cal Harrison is our guest. He's with Beyond Referrals. We're talking about what would be a different way in Canada, although there are some cities in Canada be different for Winnipeg, how they uh, request and, and put out tenders for work and how they actually get road work done and other projects. Um, is this different? Does this process, uh, RFP process, change if it's a P3 situation, Cal? Would we work backwards a little bit more differently in, an, in a P3, a private-public partnership? Will we say, hey, this is what we'd like the project to look like. How much will it cost? Do they at least do it on those projects? You can use qualifications-based selection for anything that's custom, complex, and costly. So starting off by one of the elements of QBS is saying is having the buyer disclose what their budget is. And a lot of people think that's horrible, that you shouldn't tell people what your budget is. But when everybody knows what the budget is, then the vendors can then focus on driving value into the solution, whether it's P3 or whatever type of you know, financial arrangement. So, yeah, it can apply in a whole bunch, a range of situations. But it's really good for things that are custom, complex, and costly, particularly any type of professional services like architecture, engineering, construction management, management consulting, advertising, law, IT, that kind of stuff. I have to confess, Kel, I've often gone over bridges uh, around our city and across our country, and it's a little bit uneasy when I realize the the process that built that bridge was in large part based on who said they could do it for the least amount of money. Yeah, it's interesting. I I go to Montreal frequently, and everything that was built 300 years ago is still in perfect shape, so I'm assuming they used QBS 300 years ago. But if it was built in the last 50 years, you know, the city of Montreal uses a little bit RFP process, and everything is falling apart there in terms of their infrastructure. I mean, we've got a huge infrastructure deficit here, and you got to wonder about 
what that would look like if we had made better longer-term decisions based on qualifications and quality instead of initial low price, right? Like the data out of the states, I mean, they've been studying this for years. There's great academic research that proves all this. But in terms of when you award a project, a construction project on low price, the average cost overrun is 10%. When you don't award it on low price, when you use qualifications-based selection or QBS, the, the average overrun is only 3%. So like do that on a couple of hundred million dollar projects and suddenly over the course of four or five years, you've got hundreds of millions of extra dollars you've saved, plus you've got a better end product. Cal Harrison with Beyond Referrals. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Take care. Cal, once again, has sent an open letter to candidates in our civic election asking them to change the way they award construction contracts. Look at the best option, not necessarily the cheapest. It's uh, been a difficult week for the Trudeau government. Global News has been digging deep into how it's been handling the Veterans Affairs portfolio. And Greg, the news is not good. Yeah, first our Ottawa team uncovered the fact that the federal Liberals have left $372 million in veterans money unspent. Then it learned that veterans continue to be denied financial support for service dogs, despite a report showing significant reductions in PTSD symptoms, and the minister in charge of that report admitted yesterday that the report had been on his desk for six weeks, and he'd yet to read it, and now it appears the Liberals have not followed through with a pledge to ensure the adequate numbers of caseworkers to help veterans make the transition from military to civilian life are in place. Global's Brian Hill has been working diligently on this story and joins us from Ottawa now. Brian, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, Brian, what was the original pledge from government to veterans when it comes to caseworkers? So, uh, when then-leader of the Liberal Party, uh, Justin Trudeau, was campaigning, uh, he made a pledge to all veterans saying he would have one veteran, one standard, essentially uniform care. And then shortly after coming into office, they promised uh, to reduce the the ratio or to make sure that there was one caseworker for every 25 veterans. Uh, and those caseworkers help transition people to civilian life, as you said. As it turns out, uh, three years into their mandate, they're only about halfway to accomplishing that goal. And in many areas of the country, the numbers are far worse. Well, let's dig into those numbers. What, what sort of ratio of caseworker to veteran would be ideal? Have they pledged and where are they at? Does it depend where you are in the country, Brian? It does. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the biggest things we found here is that there are significant regional differences. So uh, the the pledge was 25 veterans to every caseworker. Uh, what we've got now is 33. Uh, when the Harper government left office, it was 41. So there have been big improvements. But what we see is that in some places like Alberta and central Ontario, for example, the numbers are much worse, uh, close to 39 to 1. So far away from that target of 25 to 1. Uh, and, and what that essentially means is that those caseworkers helping veterans uh, have a bigger workload. It means they're dealing with more files. means they have more cases on their desks. mean it takes longer to, for veterans to access the services they need. We see that in other parts of the country too. Why have they not met the promised ratio? 
It's hard to say. Uh, the government says they're hiring people as fast as they physically can, uh, that they're trying to fill these positions, but there are a lot of vacancies. In, in Manitoba, uh, Brandon, Manitoba, the, the, the office there, their ratio is above 40 to 1. So if your goal is 25 to 1 and you live in Brandon, well, then you're not being serviced at a level that was promised to you uh, shortly after the Liberals came into power. Well, when we had this discussion on air, uh, starting with the whole idea that all this money had been unspent, we had a former veteran reach out to us here at 680 CJOB, and his request for a review of his case took weeks and weeks and weeks. He was promised it would be four, then six, and then turned into nearly 36 weeks. He said, uh, Daniel was his name, uh, he said, you know, I didn't, financially, I didn't really need the support. What it highlighted for him was for those that might be in dire straits, uh, this system is not working. Mm-hmm. And we've we've heard that from, from many veterans. Just this morning, after publication of this story and the, all the way through this week, we've heard from veterans who are saying they've experienced long delays, that they're waiting. And that's no secret. Uh, the minister himself, Seamus O'Regan, acknowledged that there are, quote, deficiencies uh, within the his department, uh, and that he, he, you know, he says that they, they are working as fast as they can. And, and to their credit, uh, the Liberals have uh, reopened uh, 10, or reopened 9, and then an, an, another new veteran service office around the country that were closed by the former Conservative government. They have hired hundreds of new staff, but at the same time haven't lived up to the promises they made. So things are better, uh, but they're not as good as what veterans were promised. So in general, then, as far as this is concerned, as I look at your story here, uh, the, in the headline at globalnews.ca, if you'd like to read it, exclusive Trudeau liberals failed to meet own target for improving veterans care. You, uh, you, you spoke to one veteran named Andre St. John, a 37 year veteran of the Canadian armed forces. And he had to wait, what, like nine months for, for his treatment to be approved. Yeah, it was a long process. He had a, a, a you know significant back and forth with uh, with his local office. Uh, but he says during that period, uh, there were long periods where he wouldn't get uh, his calls wouldn't be returned, where uh, he would send messages and get nothing uh, get nothing back. Uh, essentially, just saying like it took ages to get this treatment for his chronic pain and stress and other disorders that uh, he suffers from. Uh, Yeah, it took nine months. So eventually he gave up uh, and he wrote a letter to the minister's office. Uh, Shortly thereafter, his treatment was approved, uh, which will begin. It's an inpatient program that'll start in a couple weeks. But, you know, he says it's it's really troublesome when uh, he and other veterans have to go through that type of process and that kind of wait. Brian Hill joining us from Ottawa. And uh, Brian, uh, as someone who worked through the private insurance system almost 20 years ago with regards to vehicle accident, you know, we're used to those that have dealt with the private insurers and and even some of the crown insurers, uh, the whole deny, deny, deny mantra. Uh, In that world, you don't expect that for veterans, individuals who have voluntarily served their country within a department set up to serve their needs. It just, it just feels very corporate what's going on. Mm-hmm. And what we're hearing, like I say, Andre uh, St. Jean, uh, you know, 37 years in the Air Force, 
says he feels abandoned or he felt abandoned. Uh, and I don't think that's the sort of thing we want veterans to feel. Uh, I know he certainly doesn't want to feel that way. And, and to be fair, I don't think the, the government wants uh, veterans to feel that way either. You know, uh, the minister has expressed frustration uh, with this, and they say they're doing the best they can to make things better. Uh, but veterans like Andre, uh, you know, can continue to wait for services they need. Global's Brian Hill, thank you so much uh, for joining us today, and thanks for the work you've been doing on this story. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Brian. Just got a text message here from Craig. Brett, I want to share it with you. You do not send your youth off to fight wars. Peace keep around the world and deal with disasters throughout your country without supporting them afterwards. Been there done that. Thanks for your service, Craig. Thanks for your words. Yeah, just day after day, new headline after new headline from Brian Hill on on how the federal government is letting our veterans down. I, I think of, I remember watching the NBA finals, I don't know, 15 years ago, back when Bill Walton was color commentary, and he made me laugh because he said something, I think Shaquille O'Neal mishandled the ball, and he says, oh, he just bobbled the ball. <laughs> and that's what I think of here. The government has bobbled the ball in such a brutal way when it comes to our veterans. So uh, hopefully we don't get many more exclusives on this tomorrow. That was my reaction this morning. Another veteran story? Oh God, it's just shameful. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.